This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Perks. We are missing Kara once again. She is on her last week of vacation, so she should hopefully be back with us next week. We're super excited to have her back because nobody really wants to hear me drone on and on for an hour. But thankfully, we have a couple special guests here today to help us along with that process. But before we get started with Mr. Ken Kaplan and Bill Indeed, who own out a brand new camp and Ken, who runs a financing business, I want to just quickly mention that we're really thankful to Let's Camp, who is our new sponsor for this episode, uh, the second week of every month. And so I just want to play a brief kind of video about Let's Camp. Uh, if you guys can all bear with me here, check out their products and services, things like that. And we'll be right back to begin this show. Still taking campground bookings the old way? Ready to smash your phone or laptop because you're frustrated by dated booking software? Ever heard of Let's Camp? You can get your campground found online. Your campers will manage their own bookings and you can manage your campground from anywhere. It doesn't get any easier than Let's Camp. Visit join.letscamp.ca to get started. And then we're back. So thank you very much. Just a quick brief message from our sponsor. Once again, so grateful for Let's Camp for sponsoring us and helping you helping us bring you this content. So we are joined today by Mr. Ken Kaplan, who is really deep into finance and numbers and all the things that I don't like at all. So Ken, briefly introduce yourself. Tell us, we know how important it is, right? But tell us some of the things that you do and how you get into I've been financing commercial real estate and I'm a commercial real estate owner of apartments for over 20 years. Got into the business by needing to buy. I saw a lot of people struggling with finance and friends and others were coming to me and I helped them get financing and Ultimately, it just became a career. It's a difficult thing to, to talk numbers on the internet, so we'll stick to the high-level stuff. But I've been financing RV parks, campgrounds, among other assets for quite a while, and I'll be happy to share over the course of this hour some of the nuances, and we'll see where the conversation goes. But I appreciate the opportunity. It's really one of the best ways to get into something. Do something because you like it and then fall into a career with it. Yeah, it's, I love the aspect. I'm not exactly in love with doing the numbers, but what I love is helping reach their goals and their dreams and keeping people employed and financing is obviously a really critical part of everybody's business. Something everyone needs to think about. Not many people are obsessed on that and not many people are expert at it. it there's a real opportunity because small mistakes in financing can cost the, uh, tens of thousands or if not more over the term of own it an asset. So it's a good thing to get. I'm happy to share some ideas about that. Yeah, we'll definitely have to dive into that because obviously a lot of stuff's changing with the economy and appetites and what people are investing in and not investing in and what banks will approve and not approve. So there's a lot to unpack there. I feel like we can talk about here in a few minutes, but first Bill and Dee, tell me about your park and your, a little bit of your background and how you got started in the business. We started about 12 years ago. We opened up two other parks and since then seeing the market get hotter and hotter as time's going on and we want to go out and look for the, what we call the perfect location. We went out and found a new location, decided to build a new park and that's where we are right now. Big Rick, Ridley RV Resort. And how long ago did you guys open? We opened May the 1st. Brand new then. Okay. Yeah, new. Absolutely brand new and Still under construction, but things going very well. We're going to phase the entire project out. We started with 94 sites in our first phase. We'll go up to around 275, 300 that we already got pre-planned and pre-approved. And it's a labor of love, I'm sure. How many years, perhaps, did it take to get to this point? We're 12 years in, I think, right now in the RP industry. I thought you were going to say it was going to take 12 years to build this one campground. <laughs> <laughs> really practicing patience. I don't have any. Yeah, two years. We're about two years into this project. Okay. Two years, so. 
So 12 years, that begs the question now, 12 years in the RV industry, what did you do that led you to the point of owning your first, is it first campground? D actually owned the first one and I actually got to know him at the gym and we were both had a similar background, real estate development. And I rode out and looked at his park and talked to him about the business and I liked that, the business. So we decided to. You guys are cutting in a little bit, and I'm not sure if it's my internet or yours, but you're cutting in and on just a little bit. You just started. Okay. I'm going to turn the game up a little bit. Now you're good. I think it was just a jump there in the internet connection. I always have technical difficulties. It's part of the benefit of doing this live. If we didn't do it live, it would be perfect and boring. So <laughs> I'll move the computer a little closer. So I can help. But go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. We just missed your last couple seconds that you were talking. We had to talk with D about the business and looking at his other park that he had done. And I decided that I like this business and we opened this park in Georgia in 2011 and we've enjoyed, and we've enjoyed this business. It's a fun business to do. And we like this, it's, it's better for us than real estate development. We like it better. All right. So I have two questions here and part of it will tie to Ken and part of it will tie to you. You've been in the industry since 2011, Bill and D, as we just said, in various different aspects, whether it's real estate or RV industry, whatever, you see things change. And Ken, you've been in the industry for how long financing parks? I probably financed my park somewhere just before 2008, but I've been financing all kinds of real estate assets since I started my commercial mortgage brokerage in 2001. Okay. So, been doing it a while. I've seen a lot of different, different transactions. Okay. So my question is twofold to each one of you, whoever wants to start 2011, 2008 and earlier, how have you seen in your eyes, the industry campgrounds, RVs, camping change over that period of time? What sticks out to you is, wow, this is different than it was when I first started. I would say some of the biggest changes is probably just the demand has gotten so much stronger. I want to say, and I think my first one was in 2009, 2010, and it's steadily increasing ever since year by year. Of course, COVID situation, we made demand even stronger and stronger, um, a lot more people traveling. And I think the age group of our RVers and campers is getting younger and younger as it goes. Okay. Do you think that increased demand is a different type of demographic? Is it shifting to where once before, maybe the demand was there before, but it was a different type of demand. It was intense or it was in lower end sites. And now as people have seen glamping kind of explode and increase the size of RVs increase, that that demand has shifted, or do you think it's new people coming into the industry? I think, I think it's both. You definitely have the new people coming in. And when you do have these new people coming in, they are getting the larger rigs larger campers, pool behinds, fifth wheels, motorhomes also, and they're much more interested in the glamping sector of it, which really creates a whole nother. One of the things that, that kind of fascinates me with the industry as a whole is you have some owners who will adapt very quickly to these changes. You have some owners who will take a middle of the road approach, wait and see whether something works for somebody else. And then you have the people who are lagging years behind other people whether it's with amenities or renovations or marketing or Wi-Fi or whatever it is. So how do you as a park owner adapt to these changes in either demographics or consumer demand for amenities or marketing? How do you flip that switch? What makes you decide when the time is to change? What Bill and I did, we adapted, so to speak, or we are currently adapting by building a new park to take in all the different facets from the size of the sites to the amenities to everything that the new markets are looking for, online reservations, and which is a great big deal now. Most people in the younger generation, they don't want to pick the phone up and talk to somebody. They'd rather just book it online. But building this new park, we are taking care. I don't want to talk to anybody either. Sorry, I was just doing the hand motion. Okay. By building this new park, we're taking all that into consideration. And building a new park takes care of everything you're mentioning. That's how we're adapting. So yeah, large, much larger sites than some of the parts that we had and making it convenient, mostly pull through sites, just trying to make everything as convenient for the higher end people as we can. Is there one thing that sticks out in your head as a, obviously I think it is to a certain extent for the owners who are still a little bit lagging behind was 
Wi-Fi, the big thing that you had to do, right? The last few years, okay. is there something that's sticking out in your head as the next I have to do for bark owners? I was going to say the next thing is size of your sites. Okay. Most of, most, a lot of the other RV parks, campgrounds were built many years ago and they cannot facilitate the size of the big units coming in. They just cannot handle them. And they're fun. a lot of times, reason we got our name was day after day at both of our parks, number one call on the telephone, they would say, are you big rig friendly? Are you big rig friendly? Are you big rig friendly? And we built this park and wanted to make it large enough to handle any size unit on the road. And so that's how we got our name, bigrigfriendly.com. Awesome. Okay. Ken, I want to flip to you real quick. Sure. Same kind of question, right? With financing and all the things that you do that I have no idea about. So what have so, those changed? It's interesting that the things that make a successful park have changed a lot with respect to the modernization and the things that Bill and D were just discussing. The things that make a successful financial transactions are actually fairly stable. The lending perspective on it is always going to be focused on the asset, the strengths and weaknesses of any particular asset, particularly existing. Bill and D, I know you guys did some development, which I'm curious to hear because those are always fun and interesting and very difficult to finance properly. So I'd, offline, I'd love to hear that story, but the transactions and what works in the financial world, you need to have good assets. You need to have cash flowing assets. You need to have assets that are going to be properly run and managed. A lot of the things that make a borrower, a solid borrower, and that make a, an asset. And in this case, an RV park, a good investment from a lending perspective, those haven't changed very much. What changes is the economy that we're all operating in. Obviously COVID was a big shock to the economy changed the lending and fire rates in the last year have uh, prime rates gone up a point in that was three and a quarter a year ago. Now it's at four and three quarters. I'm pretty sure. So you need to have different, the park needs to cash flow in a different way to pay these higher interest rates. Banks are tightening up on how long they'll give you a fixed rate or if they'll give you a fixed rate. So the nature of the specific transactions are going to change. But overall, what makes a good park and what makes a good borrow and the match that you're going to find with an appropriate lender, a lot of that has stayed the same. And a lot of that is based on relationships, preparation, making the transaction easy. What change and who's doing the loans, frankly, that's changed too. We used to get different lenders participating in the market, but there's still plenty of lenders for the right transaction. And they're still looking at essentially the same thing. It's cliche at this point. They're interested in the return of capital, and then they're interested in their return on capital. And they're going to analyze every deal very, they're going to scrub it hard and make sure they get their money back. But the fundamentals of the banking side of it haven't really changed that much. It's just the day-to-day -day environment and the rates and the terms that we're able to get our clients. So I know I'm going to ask a couple of questions here from a complete pace place of ignorance, right? And so they may be dumb questions. So forgive me of those in advance. The reason for that is because I've started a couple of companies, but I've bootstrapped them all. I've never gone to a bank and asked for a loan, which is probably a dumb idea because I had a lot of high interest credit card debt at some places. But anyway, regardless of my bad decisions, um, is there, you talk about the borrower and the RV park cash flow kind of proposals, not changing and being stable. Is there a point in the loan application process? where you'll look for that story like an investor does, or will you look for that? What are the amenities going to have and how will that generate cash flow? If it's a new development, that's an unknown. How do you, cause I feel like there's a lot of park owners who don't know the exact process. Here. It's really a pretty complicated answer to a pretty right. so just in generalize. But to try and give you some rules of thumb, trying to do something ground up like Bill and D did very tall order for financing. You're not going to be successful. If you don't have very solid history, very solid experience and very solid collateral that exists. And I'm guessing you guys might relate to this outside the park that you're trying to finance. You're going to use bridge financing, which is going to be very different than permanent financing if you're developing a park. So they probably, my guess is have a loan that's upwards of th for three years. Um, 
either interest only, or in some manner, they have a, a payment for the next three years, and then they're going to be looking for permanent financing. And those are two very different avenues. Very, I, unless, and I'm not sure who the audience for your program is, but unless they're large experienced raters, um, probably their best bets to find an asset that they can acquire that's got existing cash flow. And then subsequent to that, Brian, the story is of course important. Once you get past, can this park debt service and does it qualify as the borrower, someone that I'd like to belong to? The aspects of the park are, is there room for expansion? Is there a bunch of vacant land on either side that competitors can move into? Is it hard to get the proper zoning to fill in and he might be better able to address some of that? But they're going to need prop. Not everybody wants a big great RV park in their neighborhood. So a lot of times it's, you may have a great business plan, but can't find the right location, can't get it approved. So the story is important, but if you find an existing asset with room for expansion, room for adding amenities, room for adding, um, service options for people to get the rig service on site or restaurants or water beams or there's any number of ways to add value to an asset. And there are a number of assets, uh, RV parks that are, let's say mom and pop for lack of a better description, who haven't aggressively run their park and having kept up with technology, Wi-Fi, and we've mentioned some of those things. When you find a park like that, you can buy it on the revenues in retrospective but really bring in some good management, good innovative thinking and upgrades and renovations and expansion opportunities. And you can turn that thing and make it gigantic improvements going forward. And while banks like that story, that's your upside as a park owner. It's not the bank's upside. They're making their interest rate, whether you make, whether you grow the business double or triple, they're still going to make their four to 8% on that loan. So the perspective from a lender is very different than that of a park owner. Okay. That makes sense. If I'm hearing you correctly, the lender is interested in the ability of you to pay back that loan primarily, and they don't really care whether you, how much you grow or whether you double, triple or whatever, you just need to be confident that you're going to be able to pay back and take care of the interest payments to make them whole. Yeah. As a middleman, my job is to dress up that transaction and get the banker excited about it. But at the end of the day, what I'm getting them excited about is that they're going to get their law paid off, not that their borrowers are going to get rich, expanding the park. Okay. In a second, Bill and D, if you're comfortable, I want to give you a chance to talk about maybe how your experience with financing was, if you want to share, obviously you can be as general or as vague as you want to be, but just give some insights maybe to park owners if you feel like sharing. But before we get into that, just to follow up on one of the other things, Ken, is there certain things as you go to a bank, let's say we're a small park we're small no mom and pop, and we are looking to purchase an existing asset. We want a loan for that, or we're looking to do renovations on an existing park that we already own. Are there things that you look at from an amenity standpoint or a cash flow standpoint, or a, this has worked for other campgrounds in the past standpoint that helps a, a lender who's already familiar with campgrounds. And I know there are a lot who aren't. And so right. requires explanation, but if somebody who's already familiar with campgrounds, you can come in and say, I'm doing a pool. Oh, we know pools in the past always perform well, or I'm doing a bicycle rentals. And, oh, we know that's always a cash flow generator. So that's a strong kind of, we like that. The short answer is no, Brian, the amenities of the park are a great part of the story, but the way that the park is underwritten, if you're looking to buy or refinance or expand a park, what you need to have is your finances in order. You need to be able to show me your prior three years tax returns, your profit and loss statement, credit report, the way that park is going to get analyzed really doesn't tie in much to the amenities being offered. Although we do, most banks are going to ask you for projections because if you are doing amenities, if I'm making you a million dollar loan and you're using some of that money to put in a pool and kayaking or other types of amenities or laundry facilities or a black top. Those, those things are revenue generators. If you're fixing your septic and putting in some black, that's a revenue generator in a different way, because it'll impact your ability to what you're going to, who's going to stay there and how much you can charge them. Those are all part of projections, which are helpful, but the loan is based on historical, not on pro forma. 
I did warn you I was going to ask ignorant questions, so I feel like... Not, no, not ignorant at all. When I'm learning. So next time we have you on the show or we talk finances, then I won't ask the ignorant questions. I've got to do it once to get it out of my way. Well, so, if, really, if, go if ahead, Ken. Have them, I'm sure. If you have them, I'm sure other people do as well. So that's the thing, right? And then you're not even, you're dealing with the, uh, there's so many, I hear these stories about you go to lenders, whether it's banks or people who are helping in the middle and they have no idea. What is a campground? Is that a mobile home park? Do they lease the land? Do they stay there forever? Do they live? Is it a trailer park? Like they don't know. And so I guess while we're talking about this, and sorry to keep kicking the can down on you, Bill and D, while we're talking about this, is there a, if you were approaching a lender who knows nothing about campgrounds, is there a blueprint? Is there certain things that you should come prepared to? Yes. You should have three years of your financial history. You should have. Well, like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like we're on the same page with that. Is there anything specific to the campground industry that you would sure. want to say? So specific, yes. So specific to the campground industry, the important thing to know is, are any of the RVs going to be park owned? Because that really changes who might consider making a loan to that asset. It's also occupancy. Many lenders have minimum occupancy requirements in terms of really it boils down to the cash flow, but they want to see an active park. Also, the nature of your tenants, whether they stay there seasonally or whether they stay there longer term, changes what loan programs are going to be available for that park. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I won't keep kicking the can down on Bill and D. Bill and D, do you want to talk briefly about your process and journey through financing, or is that something you'd rather? I think it, we we didn't go with a we went with a, a local bank, community bank that that we had a relationship with, and and I think what helped us is the background that this was our third D's third, my second RV part, and so we knew the business and we had some assets for collateral. So starting from ground up is, as you said, it's definitely a lot harder than buying an existing RV part because then you've got cash flow. We've been in this for two years and we've had cash flow, but it's definitely going out the door, not the end. <laughs> so it's been a, it's been a, an interesting process to, to lately, but, and the other thing that we've run into is that the cost of materials has been more than we had anticipated. But when you're in the process of building something like this, you've just got to, can't stop. You got to keep going till you get it open. I have heard that the comment you made about the smaller bank that you have a relationship with from many people is given as advice. And I think that holds true, right? It's the credit unions. It's the smaller community, local banks where Tom, and you've talked to Tom for eight years and Tom knows you paid back your loans in the past and all that kind of stuff. And so I think there is a ton of value in that. And I think in general, I, I would assume that, and maybe Ken, you can speak to this or, or Bill and D, but I would assume that it's easier for some RV parks and campgrounds to cultivate those relationships, given the sometimes rural nature of their locations. Is that fair? Probably we're in Columbia, so we're in a larger city, but we've got other bigger banks, but we just, just made our decision, Dave, I made a decision to go local bank. We thought that would work better and it's worked great for us so far. We've got a good relationship, been pretty smooth. Yeah, and lo lo local banks are almost always going to work better because they're familiar with the market. If they ended up in some kind of calamity needing to repossess an asset, they know what to do with it. They know who the local realtors are. They know what the thing is worth. They know who the local property managers are. So if, and the other thing is they get to have the bank, which is different than most of the lenders that I'm going to work with, although on the very small transactions. They're literally your only source of financing are going to be the local banks and credit unions. If you've got a larger transaction that's in the millions and you've got some experience and you've got a good project, then there's other types of loans, SBA, USDA loan programs can work as well as conduit loans, Freddie or Fannie. So there's a lot of loan programs and really when you work with a broker like myself, that's what we do is look at what's being offered, what the needs are and knowing who it is, what loan programs and what lenders are most likely to be able to help you succeed with that. But always talk to your local credit union first, because it'll be cheaper than anything a broker will ever bring you. Ken, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to switch topics very briefly and see, and just see maybe if you have any insight or expertise into this, and maybe you don't, but we've seen a lot, especially as the interest in RV parks and campgrounds has increased over COVID and maybe even to the years before that, as it was really starting to take off of these 
private investors invest in me, invest in my campground. I'm looking for investors. Here's an investment opportunity, bring in private equity, those kinds of things. And obviously for the bigger players, we're going to take them out of the position now, but is there any value in pursuing these private investors, private equity as a smaller operator, or is some of this stuff that we're seeing kind of, I don't want to say scamish, but questionable. That's directed to me. If you know anything about it, right? Well, what I've told people to do, because I, I do get contacted very often by, hey, I, I'd love to get involved in the RV industry and buy a park and I've got $500 and I'd love to own a <laughs> Wait, you can do it for $500? So what I do tell them, and I never have followed up to know the success, but I do know that if you search real estate investment club, and then the name of your town, it doesn't matter how rural you are. If you search for that, you're going to get, you're going to find something within an hour anyway. And it, you can go to those meetings and maybe find someone who's willing to do something with you. It's not at all my area of expertise. I think those giving up equity, that's always the hardest thing to do. But if you find a good project. People are right now, if you could go to a, you know, there, there are people who have money in CDs that are earning close to nothing, less than the rate of inflation right now. And if you can offer them six, 7% on their money and make them feel comfortable with you, then they might be able to help you come up with a deposit that'll let you trigger the financing. So it is possible, Brian, but I just don't, it's nothing I could really help anybody. Well, that's okay. I wasn't counting. I wasn't, I know that's not your area of expertise, but I have just, I've seen a lot of Facebook posts about this LinkedIn post, people talking about invest in this, invest in that. And I know there are obviously a lot of people who are legit out there, but there are also some people yeah. who aren't. And so I'm just, it was coming from a question of like, how can we inform campground owners better to know what is questionable and what's not questionable. Yeah, there's certain offering types and crowdfunding sites that will help you put together a legal syndicate or a legal capital raise. There are a lot of triggers on that, particularly if you get money from more than, I think it's five people. If you've got one to three people who want to put some money up and partner with you, that's something to get a good lawyer in and you can make that happen. But yeah, it's about all I know about that. Bill and D, I'm curious, just from a park owner's perspective, pure speculation, would you ever entertain somebody coming to you and saying, I'd like to invest in your properties for a share of equity? Probably, probably not. That's okay. That's what I expected you to say, but yeah, probably not. If you're on the investment topic, just as a minority investor, if I own 5% of Bill and D's park. I am totally at their mercy. They could run the park however they want. They could distribute money however they want. It's very hard to do that without a proper picture on a handshake. Okay. All right. Let's not spend too much on that. But so Bill and D, talk us through, I don't know. Let's tell me a little bit about your park. Actually, we haven't even gotten to that. Tell me a little bit about your campground and what you have. Our campground, we think, as they always say in real estate location. Feel like we really hit the exact right spot with this one. Spent a little time researching some properties in the area. We were fortunate enough to find this one. It's located just three miles off of I-26 and three miles off of I-77 and only about 10 miles from I-20. So we got three major interstates right there at our front door. Just for uh, the people who are not from the I-77, I where what state, what location? Yeah, we're in Columbia, South Carolina. Not too far off of I-95. So, uh, travelers, the highways there are extremely busy. We want to be somewhere close. We're also with this park, we're extremely close to University of South Carolina. We have Fort Jackson, the army's largest entry training base in the United States, 10 miles down the road from us. We're located right in the heart of the industrial area of Lexington County, which has Amazon fulfillment center, Lexington County industrial centers and a little bit of everything else around there. So we were very fortunate to find our location that we have right now. What are some of the things that you think set you apart from the other RV parks in the area? Again, first going to be location. And then the next thing we went after is size of our sites, the length of our sites and the width of our sites. So people come in, they got easy access in, as Bill was saying, we've got mostly all pull through sites. Some of them go up to 120 feet long. 
So we accommodate anybody out there on road traveling right now and put a lot of elbow room and wooded tree spaces between these sites. Okay. Very nice. So a lot of privacy. A lot of privacy. And I'll let Bill elaborate a little bit on the amenities that we're going to be bringing online, which will be under construction. We're all, even though we're already open, all of our amenities are not quite finished, but they're under construction here. I'll let Bill talk about those details. Yeah. They just put in a beautiful dog park, but our, our pool, we plan to permit it and start it this fall. We'll build a nice pool. We've got a huge building that was already on site that we're going to make into office, lockers, meeting rooms, showers, movie rooms, gym, and plan to put a pickleball court or some pickleball courts behind it. We're going to have hiking trails, uh, golf cart trails. Golf cart trails. We, we enjoy this business and we want to make it. We want to be a destination park because we think that we've got a, a good enough location that people will come there for probably just the amenities at times, but we, they'll also come for what's around us. He said, University of South Carolina, Lake Murray, we're probably 15 minutes from Lake Murray. There's just a lot of tourist attractions and industrial companies that will need our services. Some of the things you're talking about, like meeting rooms, pickleball courts, office space, like, I think those are very valuable to add to an RV park, depending on the demographic and location and all those kinds of things. How did you settle on those? Because I think they're very unique. One, I haven't seen a lot of campgrounds offer those, but two, is that kind of based on your location and the type of people you try to attract, or is it based on the existing infrastructure or how do you make those decisions? I think some of it was, we were fortunate based on the, some of the infrastructure that's already there. We had some of the buildings that were pre-existing, but we knew we wanted to park with these type of amenities. This is just our experience over the years. What do parks need? What do the clientele require when they come? They will entertain quorums, swimming pool. They also want to come in, say, with rallies and have a gathering where they can come in so they'll have their potluck dinners and that sort of thing. So we're putting everything in that we hear from other parks and people as they're traveling that they desire. So that's kind of how we came up with those. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anything that you've been through this process and you said you own how many parks now? I'm so sorry. I just, this will be able as you've gone through the process of one, two, three, and even through three and learned what you've learned along the way, are there things that you would caution other park owners to avoid or be able to do quicker or things that you would do differently with park number four? I would say, I want to say thank you with you, Bill, mind eight, number one, as you mentioned before, be sure you got your Wi-Fi system ready to go, however you can do it and make sure your sites are large enough. Don't, don't build it too small. Now, when you say, I'm curious, there's a lot of like large site could be defined many different ways. So when you're talking about a large site at your property or when you're looking into this stuff, is it length? Is it width? Is it patio size? Is it space for amenities? Is it shade, what impacts your definition of a large site? Larger site, I would say ability to take into larger motorhomes, fifth wheels in length. And then secondly, I would say very important is the width between spaces. You're not packing them on top of each other. So they get there, they have a nice experience, pleasant experience, and they'll want to come back and return to your park. As Dee did our design, he had excellent ideas and he's also tweaked it, but we made a cul-de-sac. We did it. We didn't want a parking lot look. We wanted something that looked homey and more interesting than just RV sites lined up side by side. So we've got a lot of large sites. Uh, most of them have trees. And uh, I think our smallest site's probably 80. Probably 80, 80 yeah. feet long. What? How many? Probably 45 feet. A 40 foot width. Probably 40 foot width. And then we go up to 120 feet. But uh, people, we did it based on the experience and what we saw the industry was going to with these larger RVs. And then people will have a fifth wheel and they're pulling it with a truck. So they want to be able to park everything off right there on the site. So it takes a good bit of space. Okay. Last question as it relates to building a new one. How do you determine or how are you currently, because I'm a digital marketing geek, right? I do marketing for 300 plus campgrounds and my other half. How do you, how do you determine how you're going to market a brand new park? How do you reach that audience that doesn't know you exist before? And then before you answer that, Ken, I'm going to ask you next, just curious, does marketing plan have an impact on finances and lending decisions? But go ahead, Bill. We basically, we're a member of CARB and we've been to some of the Florida RV show and places like that, giving out brochures, but 
our main target has been social media and Instagram, Facebook, Google maps, and we're making, we're getting 10 to 15 calls a day, making four to five reservations a day. And we're not, we haven't spent a ton of actual ad dollars on marketing. Good Sam's remember those guys. Yeah. We remember good okay. Sam's yeah. and all that. Okay. I know it's different for everybody. So just curious what your process was there. And you're right. Carvic is a great organization. Camping Carolina is D's the executive director down there. They do a great job. Got a really smart, I think you're on the board, aren't you? D? I am on the board. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I'm going to talk highly of your organization. So, um, yeah, yeah, D, D, the, our director, she does an excellent job. And I think we're up to 133 members. This record high membership right now between North Carolina and South Carolina with our owners being members. Yeah. I remember years ago before D took over how they were struggling down there and how D really turned it around. So super impressed by her. He has done a super job. Yeah. And for the other people who are just watching the show, because primarily campground owners, both uh, developers, investors, people who are large and small, right? There's no replacement for a state association of this industry. It's extremely, yeah. It is extremely important to get involved, to do your networking, because we have a our convention with North Carolina, South Carolina, Arvick, Carvick Convention, I'm sorry, is coming up. And it's going to be uh, February 4th, Myrtle Beach. We'll start the takeaway tour where all park owners get together. We tour other parks in the area. Tons of information when you do that. Go visit part of park. So any owner that's not a member or if you are a member, you need to come on down to the convention. The convention will go from the 5th of February through the 7th. The takeaway tour will be on the 4th. Yeah, we're doing lobbying right now in North Carolina and South Carolina to get some laws and regulations done. Benefits all parks and owners, which are very important. So very actively. Yeah. And that's an important thing, whether you're in North Carolina, North Carolina, South Carolina, obviously we know you've got a good organization. We've been talking about it here for the last couple minutes, but if you're in any area around the rest of the country or in Canada, where I'm at Canadian camping and RV council is your national one. You have provincial ones too, or anywhere else in the world, I guess we're worldwide. Now we have to investigate state associations at some point and no, are they provincial? I don't know. I'm confused anywhere. There's probably some in Europe. And I know there's a national one in Australia, but either way, the point is investigate what your association is doing because some of them do different things. A lot of them do the same thing, but what are they, what can they do for your park? One of the biggest advantages, obviously, as Dee was talking about is networking is the conference is suppliers and vendors who attend those shows, but it's also the lobbying. Not all associations do it the same, but I know that Carvic does it really. And so just look at the different benefits, the low cost, usually at many of these places to join and the benefit of supporting kind of the whole industry and lifting each other up. I think it's a huge benefit. So that's we had people last year, Myrtle beach, all the way from Oklahoma, there, the guy out there, he just opened a brand new park, but he flew into Myrtle beach to our convention to network, get ideas and that sort of thing. So very strong to, no matter where you are to pay attention and listen in, cause you can always learn. Awesome. Ken, we got distracted there for a second about associations, marketing, finances, does it impact? Certainly every lender is going to, particularly for existing parks, they're going to go online. I think, I think that answer was spot on a social media presence, which is different than marketing, but it's the first time as a park owner, if you're looking to communicate with individual RV owners who are on the road, you need to make sure you have a social media presence. You need to make sure that you're on Google maps because people are in a, they're going to be cruising and either have a destination or look something near where I want, or I'm heading out to, to bring something to my daughter across the country and I'll look for, where am I going to stay? So uh, from a lender's point of view. They want to see on an existing park, they're going to, they're going to look at the social media presence. They want to see in your financials, a budget for marketing and maybe line items for social media and association memberships. And they'll like to see things like that, but they won't truly understand that They'll They're going to go by the historical numbers and look at your projections and assume that you're advertising. But right now I would say all of that, we're going to look at the reviews for existing parks and see what the people who stayed at the park have to say about that park. If you have people saying they advertise for big rigs and I couldn't fit yet, it was not accurate or the bathroom facilities were awful and the showers didn't work and etc. So they're going to look at that and more for red flags than necessarily for green lights. But conversely, if you have a 
solid social media presence with a lot of five-star, they're just going to check it off the list. It's not going to be a determining factor in the positive as much as it could be in the negative if you have a bunch of poor reviews. And with respect to startups or new campgrounds and RV parks, there you're going to likely need a feasibility study, which is different than marketing, yeah. but you need to know about your demographics, your traffic, who's coming there and why, and how much money do they have to spend? And so that's a different thing than marketing, but there are ways to get it feasibility to, to see the viability of a particular location. So this fascinates me because it's the first time I've actually heard a lender say this, and I feel like it's true, not a lender, but somebody who deals with financing. The review specifically fascinates me. Obviously it's not just one that's going to put the brakes on anything, but if they see a multiple, if they see a pattern of things happening, right, then that might be a red flag. But that's the first time like over the years, it's taken me so long to preach to people that the importance of reviews and answering them from a customer perception perspective. But now this is a whole different animal, right? This is if I'm having consistent problems and they're being vocalized on the internet, this might impact my ability to renovate, purchase, do whatever in the future. Is that what you're saying? It is. And a lender's going to send an appraiser onto a property. And if there's negative social media content, then that appraiser is going to be looking to prove the negative. If there's a ton of positive things being said, that appraiser is going to go on there and have a better disposition towards that site. A lot of, keep in mind, w when you're dealing with a lender, you're really dealing with a loan officer who's not typically a senior person on the front end of that transaction, a loan officer, and then it goes up to an underwriter. And both of those categories are going to be interested in making sure they don't make a bad decision and say, yes, we should do this loan. And then the loan goes bad. So they're going to be looking for easy reasons to reject a transaction sometimes. And that's where the social media comes in. And now when you say social media, because to me as a geeky marketer, that's different than reviews. But when you say social media and they're looking for a social media presence, is that regular posting? Is that just looks pretty? Is it having a Facebook page period? Yeah, actually I was referring more to the to reviews, but okay. they will look, it's everyone's in. It's the first thing I do. Somebody calls me once to wants me to help them get financing. Very first thing I do is Google the park, Google the neighborhood, Google the county, help what's the population, is it growing? Who, what attractions are in that area? All the things that make a park a good park, a, a lender kind of knows that, right? So they're gonna be looking to see what Bill and D listed with respect to being their universities, being their military bases, being their stable sources of employment, being where uh, Amazon is opening the distribution centers, as an owner, that's things I want to, that's where I want to put my park as a lender, same thing. Is there value in, and this is just me asking a personal marketing question, right? But is there value? We do a lot of competitive analysis studies for some of the larger groups who are looking to purchase in a specific, either develop or purchase in a specific area. And so we'll look at their competition and what their competition is doing, what their reviews say, what their social media presence is. We'll do audits of the websites and basically create like a plan that says, here's how you would win at marketing versus your competition in the area. So it's a two-part question that, and is there's value, there's things that we can pull from like a Google search perspective that says how many people Google campground near Columbia or RV park near Columbia, South Carolina, and give you a kind of a genuine number of people who are interested in camping in that area. So two parts is either one of those valuable to a lender. Okay. From a only, only tangentially, they're really going to count on the appraiser and the, what's the land worth and what are the pads worth and what's my collateral worth. Cause as a lender, again, I'm more interested. I don't have the upside. It's good to know the park has an upside, but if I'm your right. lender, I don't do lending by the way, but as a lender, they're, they want to make sure that you've got an asset that's, that's going to succeed. But so I yeah. guess I don't mean to push like I, I, I hear you. I, I guess what I'm really asking is if I can show a lender that a hundred thousand people are already Googling campground near Columbia and have, there's a demand for that area. Isn't that kind of the same as a traffic pattern or a university near it, it, it'll help, but you're, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be number one. I know that. I know that. Yeah. The, the, the appraiser is going to tell them what that property's worth and what they can lend on it. And the historical numbers will tell them how it performs, whether a bot goes and searches a million times for 
or whether it's a million people on the road right in front of the place looking for a place to stay. That's I right. can't determine that. But certainly the things that make an asset valuable to the owner of the asset is going to make it more attractive to a lender because they will feel more safe. <laughs> At the end of the day, though, it's they're not going to base an opinion, a loan decision off of any marketing-related aspect. Okay. Uh I'm going to continue to push for them to do that in the future. They'll never listen to me, but it's just my opinion. So I feel like, and this is my thing, right? We only got a couple minutes left, but I feel as I'm, I don't know what I'll call myself an expert. I never do, but as a marketer who really understands the industry, I feel if I can come in and say, if I build here, if I renovate here, look, people say that the swimming pool sucks here. And if I put one in, then they're probably going to come to my, I feel like there's value there. Is it a difference maker? Should it be the basis and decision of a loan? Absolutely not even close, but I feel like it should help. Anyway, I know you don't have any answer for that, but. No, but the story is great, right? Like yeah. it, it's, you're creating energy. I'm excited. There's a million searches and cars going by and universities and military bases, and Amazon and, and Apple. And those stories are great stories. And instinctively, they will help you with the, with the story part of your loan, but the actual underlying asset value and how the numbers are crunched and how the loan calculated it's a different piece cool all right guys we've got a couple minutes left here three four five minutes something like that any final parting thoughts on the industry where you see things going in the future we never did get to interest rates and how that's impacting lenders maybe you want to, to, to take a couple minutes on that ken is it you talked about briefly that they're pulling back and being a little bit more selective right as an owner or as someone who's looking to buy you need to be able to cash flow your loan so if a year ago, you could borrow money at 4%, and now you could borrow money at 5.5%. That same million-dollar park is going to have a different monthly payment, obviously. So the price that you're paying for that part needs to justify the higher cost that you're going to have to, to make your loan payment. So there's expansion of cap rates. As a buyer, I can't pay you as much this year as I could have last year because rates are higher. And as a lender, I can't give you as easily a fixed rate as I could last year because the interest rate environment is too unstable. So you're seeing the money is still available, but the math of what makes a loan work for a borrower and work for a bank changes those terms around. And I think I think you'll start to see some slow down in, in asset appreciation because people need to pay a little bit less for a parks giving cash flow. Maybe Bill and D have a better perspective on that. That's what I was going to ask Bill and D. Do you, as, a, as people who own multiple properties, three now you said, I think, is there a point in time, even if it's not now, where you say, I want to hold off on doing the fourth until interest rates come back down? Or is that always just a recalculation and figuring out how I'm going to pay for it differently or budget for it or whatever. And you keep moving forward. We probably would go more by demand. If we've got the demand for the next phase, then we'll try to figure out a way to build it. And then also another factor into that was the, uh, most of our supplies, parts and pieces tripled in price from the day we went to the bank. We didn't ask for enough money evidently. <laughs> but it, it, seriously, most all of our products tripled in price due to the construction phase. We just have yep. to suck it up and keep going. All right. Well, thank you guys. Ken, briefly, do you want to tell people how to get in touch with you if they have more than $500? My website is, my company name is K2 Commercial Finance. My email is Ken at K2, the letter K, the number two, C for commercial finance, F-I-N-A-N-C-E.com. And if I might, my direct phone number is 267-549-5792. I'm happy to discuss transactions anytime. Awesome. Thank you guys. And we did have a couple comments come in the chat. I was, had the sun in my eyes and didn't see them all. So we only have about three minutes left, but Bill and D, I had a question in here where they were talking about the size and length. Ryan asked on LinkedIn and I'll put it up on here. What is the optimal size width and length for the newer RVs you have coming in? How much side yard width between sites? So obviously just your opinion and research you've done, but what do you feel? Yeah, I would like to optimal. I would like to have probably about a 90 foot site itself lengthwise and have about 30 to 35 feet in between, about 35 feet in between the next site. 
but from okay. center line to center line or a site to the other site, you get away with about 40 to 45. That's a very large site though. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you answering that question. Yeah, can I say, can I give my staff a heads up and say thank you for everything they do out there? I got Stephanie, Richard, Betty, Steve, and Emily. They make us what we are in our park out there. They do a great job. So if anybody calls in, they'll be speaking to Stephanie or Betty. I really respect that a ton, man. Cause I like, I run my own business and I try to treat my employees the same and recognize that like you could chop me out of the picture. And it would probably run along just fine. Exactly. They make us who we are. They do a great job and even have Emily out there part-time, right? So doing a good job. We have great people, like, thankfully. Yeah. It's really hard. Staffing issues is a whole nother topic we're going to. Yeah. It's really hard and important to keep your people, but thank you to everybody else who left a comment on LinkedIn. I see all of you, Nick Clark from Sun Outdoors, a couple of people who just say LinkedIn users, which is weird for some reason, but anyway. I really appreciate you guys all watching us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, all those different places. As a reminder, we are available as a podcast after the show on Apple, Google, Spotify, all those kinds of places. If you prefer to listen in audio format, just a thank you once again to this episode's sponsor, Let's Camp. If you would like to explore a reservation system for your property, please check them out, letscamp.ca. They are a Canadian company, but they do work with American Parks as well. And other than that, thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate you both appearing. Bill and D, best of luck to you with your new property, business, all that kind of stuff. And to the Carvic Board of Directors, as you guys continue to grow. And Ken, thank you so much for appearing as well. Talk about finances, nitty gritty, and some of my weird questions that I had throughout the show. So appreciate your tolerating those. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll call it a little thank bit earlier for a few minutes, and we'll see you guys next week for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. It's our campground owner. We're going to be focused on things that campground owners are talking about with a regular recurring guest next week. So take care, guys. We'll see you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.